Spirit just uh, touched me this morning. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do a little unconventional preaching this morning as far as I'm concerned. Usually I'll take a, a text of Scripture and I'll go through line by line, verse by verse, and, and we'll kind of expound on it. But I, I had a different thought this morning. I wanted to do a, a year-end inventory this morning. And, uh, and I wrote down a few points in my little notebook here. Thank you, Brother Ronnie. <clears throat> I wrote down a few little points in my notebook so I can stay on track and not, not rabbit trail uh, too far. But uh, before we get started, let's just pray, can we? All right. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, and I, I feel you in this place. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just guide my, my words and my thoughts and, and let, my, let my words be your words today, Father. And uh, I don't want to preach my own ideas or opinions, God. Let me just preach the truth, the unadulterated, pure word of God. And I ask you to help me to preach it with power, with unction, with conviction, with assurance. And uh, I just pray you'd open our hearts this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word. And let us be thankful for every blessing we've received this year. And we just worship you. And Lord, as we face a new year, uh, God, we don't know what 2022 holds, God. None of us do. And, and you may come back before New Year's Eve. I mean, we don't know that, Lord. But we do know that you're in control of all things. You're sovereign. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love you. And so I just praise you this morning. I ask for your enablement. And we'll give you the praise for all that you do and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And take a year-end inventory. It's what a lot of companies do at the end of the year. They'll, some companies even close down the last week of the calendar year so that they can uh, take an, assess where they are. And so I want us to do a little inventory this morning. And, and point number one, uh, we need to settle this once and for all. Are you saved? I mean, that's the, that's the number one question we need to settle and we need to settle it once for all. We don't need to, to guess about it. That's one thing you can't afford to be unsure about. Amen. I mean, that's one thing we cannot afford to guess and wonder. Or we'll just figure it out when we get there. And uh, I don't want to be a doom and gloom guy, but I, I just feel like I've got to say it. Hell is a real place. Jesus talked about it, and he talked about it in the most unpleasant of terms. It's a place of consciousness. Uh, you don't simply cease to exist if you go to hell, you don't just get annihilated. You're conscious and you're aware. It's a place of eternal torment. It's a place where the worm never dies. Uh, it's spoken of as a bottomless pit. It's a place of outer darkness. Uh, and the reason being is that God, the presence of God is completely void there. And uh, it's a place of eternal torment. The book of Revelation says that the torment will ascend forever and ever. And it's, that's a long time. You know, I, I don't know how old you are. Uh, you may think, well, it's been a long time since I was born, but eternity is a long, long time. And you need to think long and hard about where you're going to spend eternity. And I know it's not popular to preach on these things, and, and they are unpleasant. But Jesus talked about hell, and so I believe in it. And by the way, hell is just a temporary place, by the way. Eventually, hell will be emptied, and you'll go uh, into the lake of fire if you're not saved. You meet God at the white throne judgment and give an account for every deed, every thought, every action. And uh, that's going to be a terrible thing. And the, 
If the basis of your salvation is, in, is, is your good works, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. The folks that go into outer darkness, they're all bragging about what they did. Well, Lord, I preached in your name. I did church work. I did many wonderful works. I cast out demons. And Jesus said, yes, but I never knew you. The, the main point is, do you know him and does he know you? And you've got to settle that once and for all in your heart. If you're not sure of that today, don't leave here today. You, you don't have to leave here with, with a, a lack of assurance. You can leave with an assurance. And I thought to myself, we could go through 1 John, and I had planned to do a little survey, but, but I had too many other points that I wanted to make. But I'm just going to make a few brief things, and then we'll move on. You can go through the book of 1 John, and he gives you, he, John is kind of unique in that he writes, he kind of writes, if you can pardon the expression, he's a black and white kind of guy. There's not shades of gray with John. He says you're either in the light or you're in darkness. You know, you're either serving God or you're serving the devil. You're either, you're either serving Jesus Christ or you're following Antichrist. I mean, it's, it's, there's no shades of gray with John, and I, and I can appreciate that. But John, at the end of his first epistle, he says, These things I write unto you, <clears throat> um, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's 1 John 5, 13. And so he says at the end of that first epistle, he says, I have written this letter unto you so that you can know that you're saved. That you presently have eternal life. You're not there yet as far as your, your body's not been redeemed yet. But you can know that you're as sure as if you're already there. And so what are those things that he talks about? Well, in the first chapter, he says this. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we're deceiving ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to ask you, have you ever confessed your sin to God? Have you ever admitted to the Lord, I am a sinner indeed of salvation? The Apostle Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Have you, have you, can you point back to a time in your life when there was an old man and a new man. If you can't point back to a time where there was a change, there's a problem. Okay? Now, I'm not saying everybody was... We tend to exalt the extreme testimonies. We, we tend to do that. Uh, this guy was a hell's, angel, a hell's angel. He was a murderer, and all of a sudden he turned his life around. Or he was a, a crack addict and living in the gutter, and then he got saved. But, you know, there's a lot of folks that don't have that testimony that still need to be saved. Good people need to be saved. Good, hardworking, uh, decent, friendly, nice people. Nice is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not. You can be a nice person and go to hell. I guarantee you. It, so what do I have to do to go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Just live your life. Be a good neighbor. Pay your taxes. Don't cheat on your wife or your husband. Don't, don't lie, don't steal. Just do all that stuff and ignore Jesus and you'll go straight to hell. That's where you'll go. That's the truth. Can you point to a time when there was a change? Here's another one from chapter 2. John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me ask you this. Do you fit in real good in this world? I mean, do you, do you in the world get on? Do y'all jee-haw, to use a country expression? Do y'all get along good? Or do you find yourself a little uncomfortable in the world? Jesus said of, of those that follow him, he said, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. 
James says this way, if we love the world, we're, we're an adulteress. You know, it's like committing spiritual adultery. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do you love the world system? Do you love all the stuff that the world loves? Or does it make you sick? I don't know about you, but the more I see of the world, the more, I, the more homesick for heaven I get. And I think, you know what, I just don't belong here. This, I'm like a, a square peg trying to fit in a round hole or whatever, whatever the cliche is there. Do you love the world? Let me ask you this. He says in uh, chapter 3, he says in verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now that's in the, in the Greek tense. That is in the present imperative. It's, it's an ongoing thing. Doesn't mean that we're not capable of sinning, okay? I know that I'm capable of sinning. Each day I'm reminded of that. And I say, God, forgive me. This, that's not in chapter 1, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But he says, he that sins, uh, commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This is what Christmas is all about. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, what are the works of the devil, you might ask? Well, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, or you might say practice sin. For his seed remains in him, for he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. This is 1 John 3.10. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now this is not popular today, in a day of easy believism and cheap grace. <laughs> I feel my teeth are going to fall out, and they're not even false. My dentures are going to come out. Easy believism and false cheap grace... Uh, people say, well, you can live any way you want to. And that's not true. That's not, that's not biblical salvation. Biblical salvation is that if we believe in the Lord Jesus and we've been saved, we're going to act like we're saved. Jesus said, you know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Now, does this mean that we, we might not have some issues, some hang-ups? Of course not. But it means we cannot comfortably live in a pattern of sin. We can't comfortably live there. Are y'all uncomfortable yet? Yeah, it feels like it. <laughs> you can't do it now you can do it for a while but eventually God's going to make you miserable if you, if, anybody know what I'm talking about here if you're a child of God and you're going to try to live in sin God's going to he's not going to stop you but he will make you miserable because he does not want that's not who you are anymore you're a new creation You've been created to walk in the light as he's in the light. Amen. All right. Number four. This is just number four in 1 John. This is not number four in my outline. <laughs> but the others will go more quickly, I think. He says, uh, 1 John 4. He says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 7 of 1 John 4. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me ask you this. Do you love your neighbor? Do you, do you love your brother? That is one of the evidences of eternal life. One of the evidences of salvation is that you have the love of God in your heart. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is an evidence of salvation if you love one another. 
And I'm going I'm to stop there with that. that. That was my first point. But are you saved? H have you settled that once and for all? Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. There, there's no other way. All right, number two. We're doing our year-end inventory here. Number two, the Word of God. Are you spending time in the Word of God daily? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We cannot live without the Word. And the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read the Word of God, we're not just reading the Word, but the Word is reading us. It's a diagnostic tool. Our Word is, the Word of God is strength for us. The Word will give us the strength. And if you go, uh, if you go days and days without eating, what's going to happen? You're going to get weak. I don't know about you. I eat three meals a day generally. Sometimes more than that during the holidays. It's time for a diet. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sausage balls and all that stuff. I'm glad that's behind us. I, I love it, but it's, it's not good for my waistline. Uh, but, but if you go so many days without food, what's going to happen? You're going to get weak. If you go without the Word of God, if the only time you get the Word of God is on a Sunday morning when the preacher gets up to preach, you are spiritually anemic. You're, mal you're malnourished. Amen. Thank you for that one amen, brother. Everybody's like, I don't know what he's talking about. It's the day after Christmas. What's he in here preaching like this for? Because I want you to have a good new year. I want you to have a blessed new year. Are you in the Word? You know the Word of God will heal your body too. The, word, the Bible says he sent his Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There's an instance in the Gospels where it says Jesus Christ was preaching the Word of God. And it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is an atmosphere where you can be healed of diseases. I believe that God still heals. I believe that he's Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord that heals our diseases. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never get sick. and doesn't mean that if you are sick that you're living in sin. But I do believe that it is our privilege to ask for healing when we're sick. And you can be healed by the Word of God. The Word of God is health to our flesh. Something happens when we hear the Word of God. You know what else happens? When we are in the Word of God, our faith rises. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You need to saturate your mind and your heart with the Word of God. You know what else the Word of God will do? It will give you victory over sin. Have you ever read in the Psalms where he says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Have you got some area of sin in your life, some besetting thing? And I guarantee you every person in this room pastor included, has got some area in their life where the devil knows he can trip Amen. us up. Amen? Amen. Every one of us in this room, and we might have more than one thing, okay? And what bothers me, he might not tempt you at all. You know, there's certain things the devil could dangle in front of me, and it wouldn't move me, uh, you know, at all. Like, I don't care a thing about that. But he knows that hot-button issue in your life. You want to get victory over that thing? The Word of God is, is going to be crucial to overcoming this. You know what it says in Romans 6? It says, sin shall not have dominion over you. 
For you are not under the law, but under grace. You see? Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is power over sin. Wow. What a novel idea. The Word of God will help you with sin. The Word of God will also teach you how to pray. Some folks say, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, the Word of God is full of prayers. I love to pray some of Paul's prayers. I love to pray his prayers for the church. Uh, he's got a couple of great ones in Ephesians. He's got one in Philippians in the first chapter that I love to pray. That brings me to my next point, is prayer. How do we stand in prayer? We're taking a year-end inventory here. Are we saved? Are we in the Word of God daily? Are we praying? Prayer is not a drudgery. And if you feel that way, then you've missed the whole point of prayer. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is something that is amazing. You get to spend time with the creator of the universe. That's amazing. And guess what? It's not reserved for some special class of people. Now, I, I don't mind. If you need me to pray with you, you call me and I will pray with you. But if you can't get me on the phone, guess what? Jesus hears your prayers just like he hears mine. Amen. The pastor does not have a hotline to God or, or a priest or anybody else or the pope or whoever. You and I, as believers, we have access to God through one mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Nobody else. And you can go straight to God at any time. And you know where Jesus is right now? Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father in the Holy of Holies in heaven. And he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. That's good news. We're going to make it. We're going to make it because we're praying for one another. But thankfully, Jesus is praying for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Word of God will teach you how to pray. And prayer is a privilege. Prayer is, is not just trying to get God to do something for us, but prayer is fellowship and communion with the Lord. God wants to talk to you. And by the way, let me just throw this in here. Prayer is not just a monologue. Prayer ought to be a dialogue. We speak, but then we listen. Wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't it be different if for a change, instead of coming to God, talking if we came to God listening. You know, I was amazed. I, I used to work for a company, and we had devotions every morning. And it was a really unique place, and, I, and uh, we had different people from all different denominations. And then we had a guy there that was a, I want to say he was a Quaker. He was a Quaker or a shaker, one, you know, one of those, a baker or a Quaker. I think he was a Quaker. But one of the highlights of their meetings was, was times of silence. Okay? And so when he stood up there to give his devotion for the day, instead of preaching or teaching or exhorting us, he said, we're going to take five minutes and just be quiet and listen to God. And you know what? It was awkward. You know? and, you, and the reason it was awkward is because we're so used to talking. We're not used to listening. It's, 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 you know, it's like when the power goes off. We hate it when the power goes off, right? We hate it. And one of the worst things about the power going off is it's so quiet, you can hear everything. You can hear your wife snoring. <laughs> if she snores. <laughs> Don't draw any conclusions from that. It's just silent, right? You know, when we go on vacation, 
you know, we're packing the suitcase and all that stuff, and we're thinking about food and, and, and you know, goodies. You know, the one thing that we don't leave home without is a fan, because we need something to make noise so we don't have to hear each other in our sleep. Anybody else got a noisemaker in the house? And see, some of y'all were sitting there so holy, like, I don't, I'm not, no, not me. And they're like, oh, you do it too? Okay. <laughs> but get quiet. Listen to God. After you finish your prayer, say, all right, Lord, speak now. For your servant hears. What would you say to me? Prayer, prayer will reveal to you the will of God. Prayer needs to be done not just publicly. If the only time you pray is to offer up a public prayer or to pray over your food, you're not praying enough. Prayer is to be instant, in season and out of season. Prayer is to be without ceasing. Prayer is to be at all occasions. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Pray more and worry less. That sounds like a great recipe for the new year. Prayer will help you discern the will of God. What about worship? Worship. If the only time we worship is for an hour on Sunday morning, we've missed it. We've missed it. We were created to worship. You and I were created to glorify God. Now, worship uh, can look different ways. We can lift our hands. We can clap our hands. We can lift our voices to God. We can sit in silence and humbly uh, bow before Him. Do you know in Romans 12, it says, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable, uh, your reasonable service. And in the Greek, it means service of worship. It's worship. One of the things I like to do from time to time, and I don't do it every day, and I'm trying to be careful not to throw stuff, too many suggestions out here because they can become legalistic. So, um, but one of the things I like to do is to say, Lord, I present my body to you today. Lord, here's my eyes. Lord, don't let me look on things I shouldn't see. Lord, here's my ears. Help me to guard. Uh, here's my hands, Lord. Teach my hands to help other people. Here's my feet. Don't let them go places they don't need to go. Uh, and here's a big one. <laughs> that little pink intercontinental ballistic missile between your <laughs> upper lip and bottom lip. Lord, help me to bridle my tongue today. Set a watch over my mouth. Let me be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, to wrath. And incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Uh, let me do those things. Worship God. And you know, worship also is a form of spiritual warfare. We don't talk about that often. But worship is a form of spiritual warfare. Have you ever noticed when God would send the children of Israel out to battle, he would not send them out with spears and swords and uh, bayonets and, and all that kind of stuff? He'd send them out with trumpets and, and you know, musical instruments. And he's trying to teach us something, I believe. Well, number one, it teaches, it reminds us that the battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. But it also shows us that when we worship, God moves on our behalf. Is the devil giving you a fit? Sometimes the devil will just give you a fit, won't he? Won't he just ride your back? He'll just hop on and, and just try to ride and live in your head rent-free. Does he try to do that to you too? Amen. You want to get rid of the devil in your life? Start worshiping God. He can't stand it. We see that in the instance with King Saul and David. Remember, Saul is just 
afflicted. He's tormented by Satan. The Holy Spirit has left King Saul, and now an evil spirit has, has rested on uh, Saul. And he's, he's in an agitated, terrible state of mind. And what do they do? Do they call for an exorcist? No. They call for King David. He's just a, a young boy at this time, I guess. But they call for young David to bring what? His harp. And he brings that harp. And as he begins to play that harp, Saul begins to be refreshed. And that old evil spirit departs from Saul. And he's not throwing javelins at David you know, anymore. He's, he's in a state of, of, of peace. I believe that if we'll worship God, we'll get rid of the devil in our lives. You know one reason the devil hates worship? is because that used to be his job. He used to be a worshiper in heaven. And he was, he was cast out. Lucifer was a covering cherub. We don't know a whole lot about him, but you get the impression from Ezekiel and Isaiah that Satan had something to do with music in heaven. Even his body, uh, the Bible speaks of pipes that came out of him, that he made music when he moved. And I think that's one reason the devil tries to, to fight music so hard. He tries to pervert music, as he knows the power of music. And there's worship. Can you worship God? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. All right, number five, don't get too quiet on me. Let's talk about giving. Let's talk about giving. Let's talk about money. Uh, what, what are you doing with your finances? What are you doing with your money for the kingdom of God? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We can tell a lot about our priorities by looking at our checkbook. Those of us that still use a checkbook register, most of us do our online banking. Uh, but you can go on there and look at your statement. You, your finances will tell a great deal about where your priorities are. And I'm not a big money preacher, so uh, don't think I've got some kind of special angle on this. But um, giving, and we do give, just like prayer, giving is to be done in secret too. I believe we need to develop secret, a secret life with God. I don't mean being in a Christian secret service where we don't tell anybody we're Christian. That's not biblical. But I believe we need to, uh, to develop secret disciplines with God. And what you'll do, if you'll begin to develop this, you'll find that your relationship with God will just explode. Because the Bible promises this. Jesus said, there's three things he said if you'll do in secret, he'll reward you openly. He says, if you'll pray in secret, if you'll go to your prayer closet, if you'll, go to your, if you'll have a devoted place where you pray, and you'll meet with God there. He says, the Father that sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, when you give, don't blow a trumpet, don't sound a trumpet, don't make a big deal, don't call the newspaper to tell everybody you, you donated a check. It, listen, if you go around telling everybody what you did, you've got your reward. Amen. If you tell people what you do, you've got your reward. Right there. And listen, we've all done it. I've tooted my own horn, I'm ashamed to say. I've bragged about what I've done. I have. And, and I got my reward. And it wasn't near, nearly as good as it would have been, I don't believe, to hear, well done, good, good and faithful servant. Give. And give grace giving. You know, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. You know, some of y'all, when, when the ushers come up here to collect the money... Instead of looking at them as, as instruments of blessing, y'all look at them like they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> Don't get near me. Hot potato, hot potato. 
But if you truly understood, folks, if you truly understood grace giving, if you truly understood, you would realize that you can't outgive God. You see, my pastor, my, the pastor that discipled me, he had so many fun little sayings, and I just I quote him all the time. Dear, dear little fella, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he would say, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. <laughs> and and if, you, if you ever tap into it, if you ever see it work in your life, you'll never go back. You'll never be stingy again. Even in times of famine, even when times are hard, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, but the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you want small blessings in your life, be a small giver. I mean, that's just the truth of it. All right. I know y'all hate that kind of preaching. Moving on, point number six. <laughs> what else do we do in secret? Not tell lies, but we fast. Oh, gosh. Is he going to talk about this right after Christmas? What better time to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, but Henry, I've got five boxes of Whitman sampler. And I've got a sixth one that nobody knows about. And I've got it hidden. <laughs> Some of y'all probably had to add on to your house this year. You had a special room for all that toilet paper you bought in 2020. <laughs> all right. Fasting. What does it mean to fast? Well, it means to deny yourself. Usually the biblical definition of fasting is to abstain from food. Now, I understand, now, I'm not a medical person, so I'm not telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. There are some people that have blood sugar issues, and you got to consult with your physician on about that stuff, okay? But most of us in here could probably step back from one meal every now and then and use that time to pray and to worship and to devote it to God. Fasting... Is to be done in secret. Now, maybe you can't fast food. Maybe you could fast something else. I bet we could all take a few minutes away from our cell phones, couldn't we? We could all take a little break from social media. Now, I know the world will weep if you don't update your Facebook status every, you know, 20 minutes. But I promise you, the world will keep on turning. It'll be okay. And what you might find is that you actually talk to the people in your life. You know, the saddest thing is when I, we don't go out to eat a whole lot, but, but sometimes we go out to eat somewhere, and I'll see two people out on a date, and they're just like this the whole time. Never saying a word to each other. Christmas time. I was proud of our kids this time. I don't think I saw them on their phones the whole time. A lot of times at Christmas time, the families gather together, and everybody just sit. There might be 20 people in the room and they're all looking at the phone. Probably texting each other. Because you can gossip real good in the room with texting, you know. What in the world has she got on today? Is he going to eat another sausage ball? They re-gifted that. You can take a break. Maybe the television. Maybe cut the TV off for a little while. There's not much fit to watch anyway. Man, I binge-watched Andy Griffith on Christmas Eve, didn't I, Lori? Good gracious, I saw Briscoe Darling and, uh, and all of those guys. I saw some episodes of Andy Griffith I had never seen before. 
And then I saw my favorite episode with the colonel selling the magic uh, Indian elixir. And Aunt B and all the, the lady Sunday school class was drinking the <laughs> elixir. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Okay. Number seven, your thought life. Where, where do you stand with your thought life? Now, unfortunately, Eastern religion has hijacked the biblical concept of meditation. The Bible speaks of meditation. Now, when the Bible speaks of meditation, it's not talking about transcendental meditation, where you go into some kind of semi-conscious state or you, you sit Indian style on the floor and you put your fingers up and go, hum. That's not meditation, biblically speaking. Biblical meditation is thinking upon the Word of God, letting it roll over in your mind. There was a point in time in my life when I was real legalistic about my Bible reading. And I won't tell you what I did, but I had a regimen that I followed every day. And, it, and I had X amount of chapters that I would read every day. And it became a real source of legalism in my life. And I began to learn that sometimes you just need to take a little small portion of Scripture and just think on every word and just let it roll over in your heart and in your mind. And meditate on it. You know the Bible says that blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stand in the way of sinners. Nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's what God told Joshua to do when he was going into the promised land. He said this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. From your heart. But you need to meditate in it. Don't depart from the. Don't go off to the right or to the left. But stay in the God's word. Meditate on it. And your way will be successful. Your thought life. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. If there be any virtue. If there be any praise. Beloved think on these things. Amen. Think on these things. You know a lot of our problem has nothing to do. With, with the things going on around us. But it's all our stinking thinking. I mean, a lot of it is just our stinking thinking. Our minds are not renewed. We're, we're thinking the way the world thinks. We approach things the way unbelievers do. And it's no wonder that we have the fear and anxiety that we have. Number eight, time. What are you doing with your time? You say, well, I don't have time to pray. Well, you better make time. We make, here's what I found to be a, a, an axiomatic truth. We make time for the stuff we want to do. You, you can say all day long, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time to do any of these things. But we will make time to do what we want to do. At the end of the day, we do. The Bible says that we are to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. And you'll just be amazed. If you'll start practicing some of these things, some of these practical ideas, you'll be amazed at how much time that you, that you waste during the day. How much time we waste on television, how much time we waste on social media, how much time we waste on our phones, playing video games, doing this, that, and the other. How much time we waste. Number nine. There's only ten of these. Number nine, evangelism. Witnessing. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know about you. But because of the nature of my job, my calling, I spend a lot of time with Christians. I mean, the, the bane of my existence is I spend a lot of time with believers. 
people who already know the Lord. And because of that, I have to be very intentional about sharing my faith with people who don't know Jesus. And it's very intimidating, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not one who is really good. I'm definitely not a cold call kind of guy. If y'all want to go door-to-door soul winning, I don't know that I'm your guy. Because I'm not real good with just, hey, you don't know me, but <laughs> I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. That, I, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not my, that's not my strength. I'll do it, you know. I'll do it, but it's out of my comfort zone. It's just, it just is. I'm more of a relationship builder kind of guy. But maybe you're like me. Maybe you're more of a relationship builder. I want to encourage you this coming year. Nurture a relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ. Now, I don't mean do all the stuff that they do, go all the places that they go, act just like they do. Okay, that's, that's defeating the point. You've not won them, they've won you. But find somebody, at least one person. That, that's been the mantra over the Southern Baptist Convention for the last year or so. Who's your one? One person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And be intentional, not about getting them into church, okay? I would love it if they'd come to Deep Springs. But their greatest need is not church membership, it's salvation, okay? So if you can preach Jesus to them and they go to another church that preaches the Bible, that's a victory. Glory to God. And if they come here, even better. Praise God. You know, cherry on top. But just share your faith with somebody. Evangelism. All right, number 10. And I'll close the book. And we'll all breathe a sigh of relief. Number 10. How is your horizontal relationships? We've talked mostly about our vertical relationships with God. How is our horizontal relationship? How is our, how are we treating people? How are we treating the people who are closest to us? How am I treating my spouse? How is, how is she treating me? How are you treating your... You know the person who knows whether you're saved or not? Amen. The person who lives with you? The person who spends every day with you? That's a convicting, sobering thought, isn't it? Your children. Your children know if you're, if you're legit. A child can spot a hypocrite a mile away. I know because my kids used to point it out to me all the time. (laughs) But dad, you said. I know. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) How are are our horizontal relationships? How are we treating the people in our lives? How am I treating my spouse? Okay. How am I treating my children? I know people that would traverse the whole world to share the gospel in a foreign country but ignore their family. I do. I know people just like that. I know people that would go to church every Sunday but treat their family like garbage. That's not biblical Christianity. You know, that's where people learn about God. They're supposed to learn about God, not in the church, not in the school, but in the home. Marriage... Marriage is where God says we can learn about Christ in the church. The husband and the wife relationship is supposed to model Christ in the church. Before God ever instituted a church, guess what he instituted? A family. In the Garden of Eden, he started with marriage. Man and a woman. It's an important union. And Satan has done a masterful job of perverting the institution of marriage and making it seem meaningless or uh, taboo or passe. But marriage is God's design. 
It was God's design. How are we measuring up there? You know, the Bible says that if husbands and wives are bitter toward one another, our prayers will be hindered. Our prayers will be hindered. We need to, uh, to love one another. We need to love our children. How are we treating our employer? Are we giving him the best that we've got, or are we just waiting on 5 o'clock every day? Waiting on Friday. I can't wait to get out of here. Employers, how are you treating your employees? Are they just a means to an end? Are they just, you know, noses and nickels, widgets? Or are they people that God has entrusted to your care to, to, to model the love of Jesus Christ? Horizontal relationships. Let me ask you this. The holidays can be tough, can't they? Because you get together with those folks you're not used to getting together with. And sometimes things can be tense. Sometimes things can be... Sometimes people don't come to family functions. Is there anybody in your life right now that you know has a grievance with you? Or do you have a, a, a grievance with someone? Is there some area of unforgiveness in your life that is hindering you in your walk with God? You know, that's one of the ways that Satan gets an advantage of us. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. If we, if we harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in our life, we give a beachhead. We give a, a, a place for Satan to get a, a stronghold. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, neither give place to the devil. I don't want to give the devil any foothold in my life. Is there somebody that we need to forgive? Now, I know there's some people, and I will say this and then I'll hush. I know that there are some people with whom it is not possible to reconcile with. There are some people that you could apologize and you could, do, you could do everything you could to try to reconcile and they just won't have it. But the Bible says as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. If you can do it, if you can make peace. Let's do it. So I've given you ten things this morning to think about. A year-end inventory and I could have given you a lot more, but those are ten things for us to think about. First one to settle, are you saved? Okay. If you're not, let's get right with God today. If you are saved, how are you doing? What are you doing for the Lord? You know the King is coming. Amen. The King is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. Just as surely as he came that first Christmas morning, he's coming again. And we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account for the things that we've done or have not done for the Lord. Would you stand?